everybody, and welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. We are back. We're here in our podcast room. I'm your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than Steve Herzig. Hello, Steve. Hey, Chris. Long time no see. We've been out, and well, I've been out and about. I don't know about you, but it's been busy these past two weeks, so we took a little break, a little breather. You needed a little break because... Dum, da, dum, dum. What's that? You. Oh. Our 40. That's right. I had my birthday last weekend. Hi, 40. 40. Oi, did, you, did you, where's your cane? Did I don't you know. Set I it need against to, the wall? I, hold on a minute. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. Welcome in. That's right. It was my 40th birthday last Sunday. I'm, I'm old. I'm old. It's in my, uh, it's in my yeah, beard. You can yeah, see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, 40, I can't even remember when I was 40. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because you're what, 42? <laughs> Is that how old you are? In my dreams. You move around like a young guy, though. Uh, in my dreams. But it's so cool that you, uh, hey, your wife threw you a little surprise. You should tell that quick little story. Well, my wife threw me a shindig. She was supposed to, She, I, I asked her. Testing a Tesla. That's right. I, my my child asked me right before my birthday, Dad, if you could have any birthday present, what, what would it be? And I said, you know what? I'd like to test a Tesla out, test drive a Tesla. And and my wife, uh, I think, heard that and said, where did that come from? So she used that as a, as a ploy to get me to the She's airport. Smart. She is very smart. And so she goes, I got you a gift. You got to go to the airport to get it. You're going to test drive a Tesla. So I go there and she goes, you got to wait in the, in the cell phone lot. So I get to the cell phone lot and I'm sitting there and I call her. I say, the cell phone lot sign says that I cannot leave my car here. And it's like a 30 minute you know, wait. you're getting stressed. Yeah. And I'm like, where am I supposed to park? Should I park the car? And, and she goes, no, just wait, just wait. And I got, she goes, do you see any Teslas coming up? I see a Tesla. What color is it? Red. Nope. That's not the right one. <laughs> <laughs> then I get a phone call. Go to terminal B. He's waiting there for you. It's like, terminal B. What is going on? So I get to the airport, Steve, and, uh, my best friend, JD Lemming, who actually designs Israel, my glory magazine. Um, he, he came out. And so my wife sent two of my really good friends from seminary days uh, for my 40th birthday. And then she threw me a shindig. So she's good. She, that was she really, pretty cool. It was pretty a lot cool. of fun. It was a lot of fun. But we also, uh, we were we were busy too because it was Passover season as well. And that gets busy for us at Friends of Israel. Hey, Chris, I heard a story, a recent story of a Christian man who uh, was interested in the Jewish people and he went to a, a Seder and dance. Oh, yeah. Just at an Episcopalian church. Yeah, an Anglican church. An uh, Anglican church. Yeah. yeah. And you heard the same story. And it's hilarious. Uh, he met and he ended up meeting his wife. I have. I said, hey, I'm Jewish. I've been to a lot of Seders. Never heard of a Seder and dance. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been married for a while. They met at a Seder. That was fantastic. It, what a great story. Well, Steve, um, first of all, I just want to say it's great to be back. I'm so thankful for all of our listeners. Um, uh, uh, we're, we apologize for, for making you wait, but we, we're back. Um, uh, we're going to start actually a new series. Uh, we're going to be looking at the temple, God's dwelling place. We're going to talk about the temple kind of past. Uh, you know, what's going on today, probably. We can talk about what's going on in Jerusalem today uh, with the status quo, um, you know, in future discussions, and then temple future as well. There's a lot There's a lot that takes into the account of the temple, and uh, we're calling it God's dwelling place. But I think this will be a great study. It's going to be a great study, and uh, we'll be giving information later, but uh, in our own organization, 
we have uh, uh, one of our coworkers who is really into this, and he's into it by presenting 3D kind of uh, presentations yeah. uh, that nearly a million people have watched. So I want people to pay attention to us. Uh, I'm not giving it to you now. I'm I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> they you gotta wait. It, they call it a tease. That's right. We're teasing uh, you the I information. And I hate it when I when I'm on the other end. But on this end, it's kind of fun. Yeah, we've got so, some information coming for that's you. That's right. And nearly a mil- million people have been watching him and the information he has. But I'm excited about this because uh, people are interested in the temple and. You got to understand the past before we can look forward to the future. Exactly, exactly. Um, so before we get to uh, our study of scripture, the news, and of course, Steve, Yiddish word of the day. I Yiddish mean, word of the day. We had to go to consultation for it. That's right. Too. We have we have uh, a couple of colleagues who are very hip when it comes to Yiddish. They they know their stuff. I they mean, know their stuff, and I think they get a kick out of me asking. <laughs> So, that's right. She teaches uh, the Bergs. That's who it is in Pittsburgh. They teach a Yiddish class, actually, in the Pittsburgh area. You so. know, Chris, I'm, as we're talking right now, I think we should have them as special I guests. I do, too. They'd be a great interview. I really think that. I'd love to but hear her story. you can't have one. You have to have both. They're always together, and they are a great team. We love the Bergs, Jeff and Arlene. Uh, really quick, just a fresh reminder, um, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip, where we want to teach the Bible from a Jewish perspective. We're actually tonight going to be wrapping up our Spring Feast of Israel class with Cameron Joyner. Um, We've had people from all around the world tune in to be a part of that class. It's not too late for you. You can actually register and be a part of it tonight, 7.30 Eastern time, going by going to foiequip.org. Again, that's foiequip.org. And then yours truly is actually going to be teaching a class called Israel and Prophecy uh, this May. This is your first class. You're you're our technical guy for all these classes, and uh, we now have a, a colleague who is full-time on that in the background, but when we first started, Chris, just a year ago, a little over a year ago, but this is actually your first class. This, I, I'm a little nervous. You're, I, I think you should be. You're out of practice. I know. This is my first online class for FOI Equip, so please come at least, maybe let me encourage want, Chris. I know, come, just come encourage me. He's an old say. man now. <laughs> And he hasn't done a class, so come out just to help him. Just help me out. I need the help. Uh, it's called Israel and Prophecy. You like how I took uh, – that's got – that'll draw people too, right? That'll work. An that'll old work. man who needs help and Israel and Prophecy. So come on, show you know, show some kindness to me and come out and learn about Israel and Prophecy. You can sign up for all of these classes by going to foiequip.org. FOI is in Friends of Israel, foiequip.org. Dot org. You'll see Spring Feast of Israel for tonight. That's the last one. And then you can sign up for our future classes, Israel and Prophecy being one of them. Steve, I also want to let our listeners know if we're going to plug one more thing for FOI Equip, since they're our sponsor, we actually have an FOI Equip Facebook page now. Yeah, that's new to me. You just told me before we came on. You have I don't you have to tell me a little bit about it. Well, that's so F, we have a Facebook page now. Uh we're actually live streaming on YouTube and on Facebook as we do this po- so we're on two different channels right now. As we speak. As we speak. Well, hello everybody. <laughs> See Steve is learning all this right on the spot. That's what I love about it. So yeah, we're on Facebook now. So hey, listen, if you're on Facebook, uh, you listen to the podcast, just go to your search bar in in Facebook and type in FOI Equip. 
And uh, like us, we'll be sharing news that's coming out of Israel, Jewish culture and customs, ways to support Israel, and of course, our classes and our Jew and Gentile podcast and other uh, uh, media that's available as well uh, through FOI Equip. So, you know, Chris, you just reminded me uh, this as we're doing this now, stuff is happening in the Ukraine and Friends of Israel. It's it's amazing how we're what we were. We're still the same yes. as in 1938, helping folks now in Ukraine, uh, Jewish people in Ukraine during a very difficult time. It's great to be part of FOI. We saw uh, a video, actually, of one of our colleagues in Poland. And that's where a lot of our work started, too, was in Poland in the early years of Friends of Israel. And so it's amazing to see the, how the Lord continues continues to use Friends of Israel to minister to the Jewish people, to bring them to safety. I mean, we are literally bringing Jewish people to safety. As one of our colleagues is, uh, we have a bus that are bringing Jewish people that are in danger in Ukraine to safety, maybe to Poland or Romania, and then they're making Aliyah to Israel. So, you know, just... That's the one thing that's different compared to today from 1938 is now they have a place to go. Jewish people have a place to go. Don't even say it fast. A place to go. Yes. That is is Israel. That's what Israel is all about now is a finally there is a place to go. There's a place to go. Yep. So, uh, again, go to FOI Equip in Facebook. Look us up. Like us. Be sure to visit our website, foiequip.org. All right, Steve. Let's start our study on the temple because the temple, you know, I, I think the temple kind of gets this like when a Christian thinks of the temple, they think of blood, they think of priests, they think of sacrifices, but there was more of a meaning to the temple than just those components. Well, you know, the the idea of a temple, there had to be something before the temple, and indeed there was. There was the tabernacle, yep. and in the wilderness, Moses got the blueprints from God to build that tabernacle. But even at least while that was happening, or maybe even before Psalm 90, uh, Moses writes his only psalm that we know of, and the oldest psalm, of uh, most experts, uh, scholars estimate that since Moses was before David, he wrote it. And he tells us that we're his dwelling place. We think about the temple where God resided. Moses was was talking about the fact that God resides, that we reside in him. Yes. And he's talking about at a time in the wilderness. He's talking about a time of judgment. That's what's interesting. Remember, Chris, uh, and we've teased about it, but they were out of bondage. Uh, they're out there a couple of years, and it's too long for them, and they yearn to go back, and that's their sin. And for the next 38 years, for the next 38 years, they wander around. It was an 11-day journey. Now you know the answer to why I need GPS. It's in my genes. They had an 11-day We did that journey. with you the other day. We were going out to, to celebrate the birthdays for our, our, our staff, and we're leaving. I said, do you know where you're going? No, and he never said, know. nope. You need, I need to help you. You need to help me right now. Even though you've got the thing here and over here, you go, Nope, I need your help. I've been coming to the office and driving around here for 25 years and I still don't know where I am. So <laughs> it is in your blood. It is in my blood, but 38 years worth. And, and when he wrote that Psalm, it was probably the time that ultimately, uh, the, all the people over 20 years old would die. Yeah. 
and the, I, do you have that psalm? Psalm 90? No, but I can but get why it. Why don't you just read a little bit of it? Because context is everything. We think that's very important at Friends of Israel. So picture, you know, these Jewish people redeemed. Moses is leading, and he's not leading 50 people. It's probably 600,000 men plus their, uh, plus their families, but now judgment is coming. And he's telling us, hey, you get 70. If you're strong, you get 80 mm. years. He's probably in that wheelhouse somewhere around that age, and there are probably people dying every day. Yeah, it says this. It starts off right away with what you're talking about. Moses wastes no time. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to the dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day, that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the sight of your presence. All day, Our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your, uh, that is your due. Teach us to number our days. Is this a birthday psalm for me as I'm 40? Is that what you're doing to me? Is that how you're leading this in, Steve? <laughs> Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That is important. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be uh, be glad all our days. Make us glad for many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That that psalm has so much in it. It talks about who God is and who we are. We're sinners. Yes. Uh, you know, th- if that psalm could could kind of make you sad. I mean, it's death. Uh, yep. You're talking about 40. Uh, the King James says three score and 10. <laughs> and so while you're worried about 40, I'm approaching three score and 10. And when I first told you about that uh, yesterday, when we were celebrating your birthday, Anna and Laura, our assistant, uh, when we talked about, it, you said, "What is score? How, what what is that?" Yeah, and so <laughs> twenty years, twenty so years, three score and ten. I'm approaching three score and ten. Steve, I, I liked what how you know as we're thinking about the temple. I like how it uses that term because I think this sets up, you're setting up exactly, you know, why the temple's important. It's because Moses says, you have been our dwelling place. You know, that's what the temple and the tabernacle were all about. I know in Exodus chapter 25, when Moses, or when the Lord tells Moses to build a tabernacle, he says, it's because I want to dwell with my people. It's not because I want sacrifices or I want this or I want, it's that I act, I want to dwell with my people. I want to, I want to be with them. And I actually remember reading a commentary once that said that is one of the most uh, important Old Testament passages because it's the first time um, since the Garden of Eden that God's presence came down to dwell corporately 
with with the people of God. You know, you had it with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but and, and God would come down and speak to individuals throughout time, but now God is saying, I want to come back down um, to be with my people, my chosen people, uh, but it's actually, it has to come on a very, um, I don't want to say strict basis, Steve, but almost like there has to be rules to this. I was going to say, it. there has to be rules. There's operating plans for something like this, and it's and it's very significant. And that's why this becomes important, because I actually think Exodus chapter 40, Steve, and, and, and we're going to look today at a couple different verses, I think Exodus chapter 40 ends uh, Exodus almost giving way, which I think we've talked about this when we did our study on Leviticus. It gives way to Leviticus. You can't read Leviticus unless you finish Exodus, and something amazing happens. God's glory comes. Read it for us. Yeah, let me get back there. It says this. Uh, this is the very end of Exodus. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, think Sinai might be the climax of uh, Exodus or the the um, the story of the Exodus, the Passover story might be the climax. I actually think God is working us up to this moment in Exodus because it ends, the book of Exodus ends like this. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle because the tabernacle had just been built. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. That word is shakan. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So that the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. And so, Steve, you see this moment where God comes. He comes down, which is amazing. The presence of God amongst his people, and it must have been an overwhelming sight. They had had it, you know, they, the pillar and pillar fire and the cloud by day, uh, but to have him just rest in that tabernacle, what an amazing thing. You know, I've always understood the tabernacle to be um, a moving throne room of God. Uh, you know, it wasn't just that God lived in this tent. He actually lived in a particular part of the tent, which was called the Holy of Holies. And you know, Chris, uh, I was just in Israel a couple of weeks ago, and we went to a group where a group of very observant Jewish people are looking forward to the Holy Temple, the third temple. Uh, and they have a, at their end of their tour, for those people who've been to Israel and you've been to the Temple Institute, you know that they have uh, the ending is you're in this room. It's shaped like what the uh, holy place would be like. There in front of you is a curtain, and they play this music. It's muted. It's not that loud. I would have made it much louder, but it kind of is trumpets blowing, and they have automatically the curtains opening, and then and then there's a, 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 a thing of the ark. The ark is there in front of you. Uh that's regarded. not the real ark. Not the real ark. No, that's, that's in Washington D.C. That's right, in some government uh, building. I heard. <laughs> anyway, uh, it, that's a joke for all our listeners. Yeah. Do not go calling Washington and find. That's just a joke. <laughs> it is a joke from the movie the uh, Indiana Jones. The Indiana Jones. Yeah, that's just a joke. Yeah, that's the end of the movie. <laughs> but uh, this is serious business uh, on the part of Orthodox Jews today, and this was 
more than serious business. This was God's business mm-hmm. back then. This is almost, you know, God coming down into the tabernacle is a christening of the tabernacle in many ways. That God, you know, he had commanded the Israelites to build the tabernacle. He gave them instructions. They all participated. You know, they gave what they could to make the tabernacle um, uh, what God had given instructions for. Um, and then, you know, it was all done. And then to show that God approved it, his presence came down. And one of the things that always gets me is Moses had stood near the presence or or seen, sec, you know, the backside of God earlier in the book of Exodus. You know, he never saw God's face, but he definitely was near the burning bush. You know, he went up to receive the law at Mount Sinai. Um, here, though, is a moment where God's glory had come down in such majesty uh, and intensity that Moses couldn't even stand to be in his presence. It, it, it What does the uh, Leviticus say? We covered it. Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We understand that in, to a sense, but I think the people who had seen the presence of God when they heard, be ye holy, they, they had a better sense than even what we do today. A hundred percent. And so here is, you know, Moses... He is he he leads the way. God's presence comes down. And Steve, I always like to say, you know, I think in the Christian mind, heaven is a place where we're always going up. You know, we're going to escape this world. And when you do die, you know, absent with the body, present with the Lord. Uh, but that's not God's final plan. You know, I I think what I want to I want us to see is we're going through this temple, tabernacle explanation of God's dwelling is that God isn't just desiring to carry us away into some other ether world or wherever, you know, whatever our ideas of heaven is, you know, there, there is the rapture of the church, but God is actually desiring to come back down to his creation. And you see that even in the tabernacle, God came down to earth. So to be with his people. And ultimately to fix what we messed up. That's right. He, I always say God's been fighting for us from the very beginning because he could have said, I'm out of here. I, you know, he didn't. He, he, he has always provided a way in his grace. No question. You know, uh, I'm reminded of a story of a, of a, a, a man pushing his uh, little child and uh, the child's crying and carrying on. And so he's saying, Albert, be patient. Albert, hang in there. Albert, it's okay. He keeps saying that. And a woman came up and said, Oh, you're you're so patient with your child. You're so that man, that Albert, he I hope he listens to. He said, No, ma'am, the baby's name is Billy. I'm Albert. <laughs> That's the way God is with us. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. As a dad of four, I know exactly what Albert was talking about. You do too, a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But Grace. that's is it? You know, God is holy. We're not holy. God is holy. We're, we're to to even put us and compare is not fair. But God is so long suffering for yes. us. He's so patient with us. Um, and and so we think of of God's desire to camp with his people he's camping and that's a sign of his grace as well you know there is there is grace in the old testament and you see that god lots of grace lots of grace and here is god in his grace saying i want to be with you that is why the sacrifices exist because like we said there's a structure now because god is holy his people are not 
And God's got to somehow provide a way that his people would approach him to have a relationship because now there's a holy God in the camp. And so how are we going to relate with him? Well, that's where the sacrifices come into play and the cleansing comes into play and all of those spiritual components as well. But it's what's, what's interesting is, you know, they, the, the, the presence of the Lord, Steve, leads the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness, and then the presence brings the Israelites into the promised land um, with Joshua. But eventually a temple is built. And that's you, you have I know in your in your notes there you have that section written down because it's amazing the similarities between that Exodus 40 and that moment that you're going to talk about in first Kings well in first Kings chapter 8 and 9 we have the person who was selected by God to ultimately build a place for God and we call it the Temple Mount on Mount Moriah uh, and uh, Solomon was that person. David, of course, wanted to. We we talked a little bit about that when we went through the covenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, David wanted to do that, but he was a man of war, blood, and so Solomon was the one uh, who built the temple, and it was a magnificent structure. It was a place for God to dwell, and the text tells us that the glory of the Lord filled the house. Uh, <laughs> filled the house. It's Filled the house, and uh, it was a spectacle. It was a a a moment in time where God, uh, who had been in the in the presence in the tabernacle, but now He was in a house that Solomon built, and God had approved of. And can I make mention too? So again, we start with Exodus forty, and it said that the glory of God dwelled. That's that word shakan mm-hmm. dwelled in the tabernacle. And that same word again is used here in First Kings chapter eight, but and it, all it's, the imagery is almost exactly the same. the 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 tabernacle's finished. Moses is standing there. The glory comes down. Moses goes, "I can't be here," so he runs out. And now God's presence is with His people. And when you start in verse ten of First Kings chapter eight, it says that when the priest withdrew from the holy place, because now the tab, the temple had just been completed, the cloud that cloud same cloud from the uh, from Exodus forty filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled his temple so the priests go running out the door steve they can't stand to be there and i like what it says um then solomon said the lord had said that he would and here's the word dwell shakan uh in a dark cloud i have indeed built you a magnificent temple for you a place for you to shakan that same word to dwell forever yeah this is uh the temples are you know judaism doesn't emphasize the temples that much. And when I mean Judaism, I'm talking about most of the Jewish people. It's not that the Bible doesn't or that there aren't observant Jews who don't, but the temple is significant. It, and it's it's an important aspect, but it's in fact if you were to talk to Israelis, most Israelis today, they would say, "Oh, those those people they're kind of fanatics." We don't, we don't politically to have another temple on that place. We don't want it. We want peace. When in reality, they don't understand that when ultimately uh, the temple is built, there'll be the third temple, there'll be temporary peace. Then there'll be all out war. And then the king is coming back. The king's coming back. That's right. Can I ask, do you think that, by the way, glory. The glory, that's right. We'll have to talk about that probably another time, Chris. But Ichabod, 
This glory that's here we're talking about now, there comes a point when Ezekiel describes it, the glory of God departs. That's right. It's He's gone. Uh, but then he came back, and then he left, and then he's going to come back. Uh, can I say, I want to ask a question, because you said most Jewish people don't think about the temple. It's not in Judaism. Is that, do you think, because of the diaspora, that the Jewish people have been spread out throughout the world? They weren't in Jerusalem. Uh, or is that something that's a modern more modern Judaism? Judaism, biblical and and observant Jewish people look for the Messiah to bring the temple back. Mm. Messiah is the key. The, the two go hand in hand. And if you follow Jewish history, you realize that the air went out of many Jewish people because of persecution. Mm. If I can't tell you how many times I've heard, surely, if Messiah was going to come, he would have been here already. And so the the idea is that that's not going to happen. That's a pie in the sky. We have to do it ourselves. So if you talk to most Jewish people today in Western Judaism, they would, they would say, we're going to have a messianic era. Man is going to forget the Messiah, forget the temple, forget all that. No, Jewish Judaism is important, but it's got to evolve we have to make it happen. Education, uh, helping our fellow man, uh, that's that's got to be what happens. Yet when I was in Israel and amongst the very Hasidic observant Jewish people, they were saying, no, the Messiah and the temple, that's going to be the center, mm-hmm. which coincides much close, more close to Ezekiel 5, verse 5, where Jerusalem is the center in God's mind and heart. Jerusalem and, of course, the temple mount. So... That's where, if you follow the crowd in 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 Judaism, in modern Judaism, modern, you're, which you're is mo- a little more secular in some mo- ways. You're yeah. moving away from the text, right? When you stick close to the text, as what you and I and Jew and the Gentile, we want people to stick close to the text. You're going to see that uh, that the Bible has the answer to and and not just the answers but that it centers in on biblical Judaism. It's really all about the Jewish people. It, it, the um, w- One time I went to the I, I've heard the Temple Institute, which is what I think you're talking yes, about, the, yes. the place where the, you saw the, the, the Ark of the Covenant and other artifacts as well. Um, but uh, when I was there, it was interesting because the gentleman that was running it had said uh, like one-third of the laws uh, are centered, of, of Jewish laws are centered around the temple centered around worship of God in the temple. So it begs, you know, if a, if there is an observant Jewish person, it should they should desire a rebuilding of the temple because that is what the, an observant Jew should want because that's what the law demands in it's, many ways. You're 100% right. I, I tell people there's two reasons why Jewish people can't earn their way. Number one is we're sinners. That's the number one. Uh, we break the law. There's 613. But of those 613, over 200 of them relate to a temple that's not even here. We can't physically, even if we wanted to, we couldn't do it. The temple's destroyed. Mm-hmm. So it prevents us from doing all that the law entailed, which means God must have done something else. He wouldn't leave us in the lurch. That was significant to me uh, before I came to Christ. That was a I have to answer that. What do we do? It's mm-hmm. a good question, Steve. I, you know, I think next week we should definitely talk about Ichabod. I think because what I'm hoping our listeners take away today is that God's presence came down. There was actually something tangible 
of God's presence in the temples. They weren't these empty buildings that people just brought sacrifices to to pray to some ethereal God. That there was a cloud by day, there was a fire by night. You know, I'm reminded of uh, uh, Hezekiah when um, a lot of scholars think Psalm 46 um, uh, was uh, written in light of the historical events of Hezekiah. Um, and that's the passage where it says, God is my refuge and strength. Be still and know that I am God. And so, you know, if you study the moment when Hezekiah is standing in Jerusalem, uh, this is before the temple was destroyed. So God's presence is in the temple, and he's looking out at this vast army of Sennacherib that's standing out there. And if he read the Jerusalem Post of the morning, it would have said, we're goners, you know. But Hezekiah has this moment, at least in Psalm 46, and the way the whole uh, account plays out um, in Second Kings, um, is that, uh, uh, you know, Hezekiah has this moment where he realizes if God is on our side, if God is really in the city, if his presence is really in that temple— um, then we cannot be moved. You know, that it, it shakes the way that you think when, when Hezekiah realized, why am I scared of that army out there when the presence of God is in the temple in this city, that the creator God of the universe is dwelling right here? I'm going to look out and stare at that army and say, be still and know that I am God. God is my refuge and strength. And later on it says that his presence is in this city, therefore we will not be moved. I just love that. And it kind of grounds us in the fact that the Jewish people saw, in a physical sense, they saw God in a cloud by day and a fire by night in the tabernacle and in the temple. They're not just praying up to the sky. They were actually coming to worship him because his presence, his physical presence was there. Oh, I can hardly wait till next week. <laughs> but like you said, so let's set him up. He does leave. He does leave. He leaves. Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11, he does leave. And it's interesting the way he departs as Ezekiel gives the description of the glory of the Lord departing. We're reminded what happened with Jesus as he led left the temple. That temple was Herod's temple but he leaves the same way same way the exact same way and then he says but i'm gonna come back we we know that he's gonna come back and he's gonna come back the opposite way and the glory will come back it's just what a day that will be it'll be you know it's just amazing to see the that i i call it the tension the prophetic tension of the mount of olives and the Temple Mount, they're right. If you ever get a chance to look at the geography of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount is on Mount Moriah. There's a valley called the Kidron Valley, and then there's the Mount of Olives. And between Ezekiel and Jesus' uh, coming and ascension into heaven after his resurrection, there is so much prophetic tension that happens in that little tiny space. But we're excited to talk I'm about I'm excited. That. And you know, Chris, I, I got to change the subject real quick. I'm looking straight ahead. At, I don't know if people could see the Haifa uh picture you have but it's reflected i see me and you <laughs> behind me is a picture of you and me that's right because uh, oh, we yeah, have yeah, we yeah. have a, we have a new um if, if you're watching online on our live streams on youtube and facebook uh we have a new tv up we have a we have a picture of us in a room that where we're talking <laughs> 
Are we so vain? <laughs> I think so, a little bit. <laughs> okay. okay. I just couldn't, and all of a sudden, it's. Be, I see the reflection, and I say, oh, yeah, yeah, Steve yeah. had an epiphany. He's waking up to a bunch of uh, things that are happening uh, yeah, today. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, everybody. Well, listen, uh, that was uh, our beginning of the study on the temple. Next week, we'll talk about Ichabod. We'll look at Ezekiel chapters 8, 9, and then through 11. Um, but, Steve, let's talk about what's happening in Israel and in the news. <clears throat> well, Chris, uh, I have uh, an article here titled A Chabad House, the Disney Concert Hall, and Free Speech. And if you Google A Chabad House, the Disney Concert Hall, and Free Speech, you'll get a number of different outlets who pil- who picked this article up. It's actually about, uh, I got this from townhall.com, but I looked online. There are a number of different uh, outlets that picked this article up, and the reason they did is because Dennis Prager is the one that wrote this. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it uh, for our listeners. Chabad is a ultra-Orthodox group that follows actually a deceased rabbi by the name of Rap- Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. That's oh, a lot I- of ch- That's a lot of chaz there. Steve, I, had my, I was telling you I had my buddies over for, um, for my birthday that came, and we were sitting around and we were talking about Judaism, and I said, I was talking about Brooklyn, and I was talking about Menachem Schneerson, and my friends lost it. They started laughing. I said, he's a little Lubavitcher, and he, they lost it even more. They couldn't keep up with all the words. It's hard, all the different words, you know? Yeah, all the different. Menachem Schneerson. <laughs> the Lubavitcher. Uh, the Lubavitcher, who uh, people still to this day dress like it's 1780 in Poland. In Poland, yeah. Uh, and the exact same way. Uh, he passed away in 1994. Uh, but either way... Dennis Prager, who's a a a, a scholar, uh, a Columbia graduate, I think of both undergrad and grad student, a writer of commentaries of the Old Testament. He's currently going through the whole Old Testament and writing commentaries on it. But it is Dennis Prager who uh, was asked by Chabad, and he's more conservative slash orthodox, but he was asked by Chabad to speak and listen to the title it was a, it's it's coming up actually mother's day he's going to be in la canada i didn't even know there was a city called la canada california and he's speaking on creating moral leaders in children wow that's yeah. creating moral lead boy i i i'm i don't agree with this theology i go to hear that message for in sure. a heartbeat for uh, sure. i wanted would want to hear it well as a result of that mendy grossbaum who runs the parents facebook group in la canada or canada i don't know how it's pronounced uh, said there is i will not support any event that is hosted by anyone who is well known for hatred content and so this article is he's writing it because He's speaking to children about being good kids, and she she is telling people to boycott him because he's filled with hate. And this becomes an issue of of free speech. I mean, amazing free speech, yeah. and 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 lies out and out lies. Yep. Uh, and he ha- actually he writes about an example that happened four years before something he would say was similar. He was asked to conduct a orchestra uh, in a very liberal city, Santa Monica, and uh, to raise money 
for the orchestra. <laughs> so that, okay, hey, Dennis Prager, people know who you are. We'd like you to come. It's a fundraiser. So you're going to lead the orchestra in a couple songs, and the money that people pay to come to watch you, we're going to use for the orchestra. They called, the mayor called for a boycott four years. This was four years ago. <laughs> Why? Because he's filled with hate. What happened, though, in the Santa Monica concert was that more people came than ever before. They raised more money than they had ever raised before because people were communicating to the mayor, hey, we're not going to fall for this. Yeah. And so what Dennis Prager is calling for is would you do the same thing? I'm, I'm speaking on being moral. I'm speaking on the Old Testament, what the law teaches. Honor your father and your mother. Oh, such radical words, Chris. <laughs> uh, and anyway, I just I just thought that that was a significant article, especially in light of... Well, can the, I say, though, too, can I just go back go to ahead. that really quick? Yeah, sure. Because it was interesting that the person didn't take into consideration that runs this Facebook page that she says, I'm not going to post or put anything on there. It wasn't whether or not... I think my followers or the followers on social media will like or dislike. It's that I will not. The the authoritarian no of shutting down someone else's speech, uh, you know, is what's amazing. And especially since we live in light of the fact that, you know, Elon Musk just bought Twitter, privately bought Twitter for $44 billion because he was tired of Twitter silencing voices uh, like this to say, you know, I'm not going to do this or I don't like that or, you know, just because it might offend you it doesn't mean that you can just shut the whole thing down. You know, what's really funny, Chris, is when Bezos bought the Washington Post, all the people who side with the liberal uh, bent that it has, oh, this is wonderful. Yeah. It's terrific. And it's, so good for not, de- I heard, it's good for democracy. It's good for <laughs> all the positive things. And conservatives, I don't know if they were happy about it, but they didn't say you shouldn't do it, he shouldn't be allowed. Okay, he bought it. Now now Musk buys, buys uh, Twitter, and those same people who were for Bezos are not for Musk. Yeah. He can't have it your way both ways. Yeah, now all it's of a sudden... It's not like built- marriage all of a sudden. You know, <laughs> marriage... <laughs> Alice will say to me, hey, what's yours is mine and what mine is mine. <laughs> that's good. That's a, that's a different thing. You can't have that and have freedom. That's right. I, I know that, you know, not to turn this into a Twitter must thing, but I do know that he said, you know, one of the things I want to do is try to return us to the best way of, in a private business, uh, promote free speech, promote uh, the the rights that we have as Americans. Um, and so... You know, here again is Dennis Prager getting shut down because one person doesn't like it, and um, and I'm glad that he called it out because you know what's going to happen? More people, you know, will exactly. respond. So exactly, good on him. And that segues to another story, uh, much worse: anti-Semitic incidents, assaults hit all-time high in New York and New Jersey. ADL says. Yep. So. Anti-Semitism is at an all-time high in the United States. Steve, in my town of uh, Haddonfield, New Jersey, um, we had a recent incident of a swastika that was um, spray-painted on, I think, near a cemetery. It wasn't even a Jewish cemetery. I think it was just a, you know, maybe like a Quaker cemetery or something like that, an old one in our town. It's, ours is a, like a pre-revolutionary town, and so they 
spray painted and there's a whole, you know, we get all the updates from our town about the investigation that's going on, but it's happening even in small towns in New Jersey. We're not just talking about big ones outside like Jersey City or a Hoboken or this is right here uh, in small suburbia as well uh, yep. that's going on the in New Jersey. A- the ADL said that the incidents in New York are vandalism, harassment, and assault. Mm. Uh, you know, it's one thing to read the word harassment. Sometimes we underplay that until you're the one being harassed. Yeah. When somebody will come right next to you, point a finger in your face, scream and shout and yell and and almost act like they're going to pounce on you. That's kind of the action that is taking place in New York. And we're, we're living at a day where, uh, thank God, we said it already, Israel's a place for them to go. You know, um, in France, there are Jewish people that are scared to wear a yarmulke, which is their... They tell them not. Government sometimes will say, don't do this because we can't guarantee we, your peace. We can't guarantee your peace. And so this is, it's mind-blowing to me that we're living in this age that almost feels like a, you know, pre-Holocaust anti-Semitism that was already there. It's what, again, this is just another topic of conversation for a future podcast, but it's what Theodore Herzl saw coming. Um, here's our, Theodore Herzl's right behind you there too, Steve, on your head. I don't know. It's probably getting covered up, but yeah. uh, um Wait. There he is. If you can see him, if you're watching on the live feed, Theodore Herzl, he he saw the writing on the wall. He he just saw the fact that uh, the Jewish people, even in the late 1800s, uh, were being targeted in France and said, uh, we need a place to live and defend ourselves because uh, we can't be Jewish, even if you're a secular Jew, uh, which I think he wanted a lot of his Jewish people to, to give up their yarmulkes hey just stop wearing the yarmulke if you stop wearing the yarmulke no one will notice you well guess what even when they stopped wearing the yarmulke they still got noticed and that's when theodore herzl said we need our own place and he fought for uh, the jewish state so something to think about well chris you did include that so folks who want to access these articles can do that that's right they can go to our show notes on our podcast page you'll see them on facebook and also on youtube you can access the links for the news articles that steve picked out today so i'm very thankful for that but steve here we go we're back baby (laughs) we are back and we are going to do our yiddish word of the day here we go All right, Steve, Yiddish word of the day. Take it well, away. Well, Chris, what I had to do, you and I talked about what could we do? We're talking about the temple, and we talked about his presence. So, as we said at the beginning, we called our experts. Yes, we did. They've been teaching a long time, the Bergs. And I, I said to them, oh, you know, I know Shekinah, and that's our word. I, I said, I know that, that I know what that means, but that's Hebrew. And so our experts said, Steve, don't you know that... <laughs> Yiddish is is a bunch of different words from different places. That's right. English and French and Russian and uh, and Hebrew, uh, uh, mostly German, but Hebrew. Shekinah is a Yiddish word. So play the music again. Here we go. <laughs> Shekinah. It goes two ways. That's right. It goes Hebrew, Hebrew and Yiddish. 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 Hebrew. All right, so the reason Shekinah is important is because this is where we get our word to dwell, and that's what we were talking about for the temple. And I'll even read um, the uh, the definition that I have for our audience if they want to find it. For Shekinah um, is the uh, Shekinah is the glory of the divine presence. Love that definition. conventionally represented as light 
or interpreted symbolically in Kabbalism as uh, as divine. Um, but uh, I want to, Steve, you were just in Jerusalem, and um, I remember in Jerusalem there is a sign uh, when you approach the Temple Mount, uh, especially the the Western Wall complex. So we're not even talking about you're going in to, on top of the Temple Mount. You're just going to the you're just going to the retaining wall, which is the wailing wall as we know it. But there's a sign that was written by the rabbis out there that says that the divine presence, the shakan, are in these rocks, even in these, uh, you know, in these, uh, the, the, the retaining wall, the western wall, uh, which had nothing to do, it just held up the temple. But the rabbis even say the divine presence, the shekinah, is in those rocks. Now we don't believe that, but no, but what we what we ask and what people ask us all the time when we're on tour, what is it since since you're already teaching us this is these are the retaining walls, why this particular section? Why are the men here? Uh as opposed to say further south or further north where they, where there's a tunnel. Oh, I'll tell you why. Because we think it's the closest to where, this section where the men are. There's the ladies' section and the men's section. The men's section is the closest, they believe, to where the Holy of Holies was. And that's where they can worship the closest exactly. to where the Holy of Holies is. That's right. Is. Without being on the temple, without there being a temple, just as you said, they some of them believe it's actually indwelling in those stones. In those, the Shekinah. Yeah. So even though it's a Hebrew word, it's also a, a Yiddish word. That's right. So that means that we've got a lot more to vocabulary. We can we can expand, Steve. We can go anywhere. <laughs> we need track. a lot of words. That's right. We need them. But this is a good one. It's a great one, Shekinah. So everyone remember the Shekinah glory of God, the divine presence. Well, Steve, listen, it has been a fantastic uh, time that we could study God's word. We could look at the news of what's going on with Israel and the with Jewish people. With a 40-year-old man. I'm a 40-year-old. There's no more 30-year-olds in this room the podcast room. Hey, thanks so much for being a part of the Jew and Gentile podcast. Hey, can I just remind you, go to foiequip.org. Hey, you can go there right now, foiequip.org. Sign up for the class. Help me out. Israel and Prophecy starting May 12th, 730. He needs help, help, folks. Help me, Pete, please. Help me. So anyway, foiequip.org. Also, you can join uh, Cameron Joyner tonight uh, by going to the Spring Feast of Israel class. Again, all that information is at foiequip.org. Hey, everybody, thanks so much for being a part of that uh, Jew and Gentile podcast. Hey, we'll see you next week.